0: Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Mark Durkin.
1: Well, good evening, and thank you for joining us here on Education Nation. I am your Headmaster and host, Rebecca Hagstrom, and it's a privilege to join you here every Saturday evening on AM 1280 The Patriot. And I am very happy to be joined in studio once again with Mark Durkin, producer of Education Nation, and my co-host...
0: Nice to see you again, Rebecca. It feels like it's been forever. (laughs)
1: It has. And I am just so glad to have you back with me. We missed you on our last show. And I know our listeners probably missed you as well.
0: That's awfully kind of um, you. But it is so good to be back and just to be able to... Discuss education. It's good to be back in studio again. Seeing some people I haven't seen for a while, and yeah. Yeah, just really looking well, forward to this. And we're
1: glad that you are healthy and strong. Yes, Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> well, with the presidential election nine months away, now is the time for the American citizenry to carefully examine each candidate running for presidential office. With national test scores continuing to disappoint parents might want to pay attention to the candidates' platforms concerning education. Yeah,
0: th- that's right. I mean, we can all agree that our nation's children are worthy of a top-notch education. Mm-hmm. But in order for this to happen, individual states and local school districts, they need autonomy, and if they're going to meet those educational needs of their students. So much discussion has surrounded the Trump administration's commitment to a shrinking U.S. Department of Education and granting mm-hmm. more control to individual states, but a closer look at some of the president's key pieces of education legislation, they might have you questioning whether or not we've truly taken steps in granting greater local control mm-hmm. in the area of education. So tonight, we want to examine that, which the administration is touting as accomplishments. And we'll take a look at how a leading national grassroots movement is responding to these developments.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, let's start by looking at um, what presidential, President Donald Trump is touting. Um, as his achievements in education. And the source of this is from donaldjtrump.com slash promises kept. They are very proud of the fact that they passed the Trump administration or the ESSA, sorry about that, to empower states with the flexibility that they need to educate their students. So the ESSA is the Every Student Succeeds Act. And they were very proud of the fact that they passed that. And specifically, the administration points to 35 states and the District of Columbia having had their ESSA plans approved, and the Department of Education is reviewing the plans for the remaining states. But let's review what the Every Student Succeed Act is. Yes. Um, The ESSA passed in both the U.S. House and the Senate and was signed into law by then-President Obama In 2015, but it really dates further back than that. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: Repackaged, different names, No Child Left Behind might ring a bell, America 2000. I mean, this really actually goes back to the mid-1960s. 60s, exactly. In fact, it it reauthorizes the 1965 Elementary and Secondary Education Act under then-President Lyndon B. Johnson. Now, the 1965 law, it established the federal government's role in public education, And is the nation's national education law, and it's a long-standing commitment to what is uh, defined as equal opportunity Mm -hmm. for all students. Mm -hmm. Um, The law, it also provided a mechanism to really hold schools accountable and increase equality in education nationally. So since this law went into effect, like I said, back in 1965, uh, a lot of those, uh, you know, people that have, have watched this, they've said that federal overreach it continues to grow, mm-hmm. with some policies amended. And, of course, new policies and regulations have also been introduced.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and as everything else seems to develop, um, it starts out as a good thing, right? Right. So this is 1965. That was right after the Civil Rights Act was passed. Yes. And that was a big concern, is that students weren't necessarily receiving an equal education. Exactly. And so the purpose in that was good originally. Mm-hmm. yes. But when you establish a federal uh, uh, department, right, its natural tendency is to grow. right. And um, that's kind of what we're seeing. So, and I,
0: and I say federal overreach because I guess I have a tendency to look over the course of 45, time, 55, exactly. 60 yes. years, okay, yes. how has federal government really been involved yep. throughout the course? But yes, yep. totally agree with yep. what you're saying.
1: And that's what we're going to be looking at right now. Um, due to the fact that we now have this Department of Education that's been around for a while, the increase in spending is astronomical. So consider these numbers from the United States Parents in Education (USP). It's um, is the acronym. Federal control over K-12 education has risen dramatically. Yes, it has. So from 4.5 billion in 1965, which is still a lot of money. Yes, yeah, that's a billion, not well, what's million. What's that worth today? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. right. Actually, we should get our calculators out. <laughs> um, to $70.7 billion in 2016 in constant dollars. And that's just from the Federal Department of Education with $145 billion in new mandatory spending directed by the U.S. Department yes. of Education. That is... Astronomical. Earth, yeah, it's earth-shattering. $145 billion in new mandatory spending directed by the U.S. Department of Education. Um, and then the two hundred or 2018 omnibus spending... Um, increased the U.S. Department of Education spending by another $3.9 million. And of course, that was after President Trump was elected. That's right.
0: Yep. The numbers continue to go up. In fact, the U.S. Department of Education funds more than 100 subsidy programs, and each comes with regulations that do extend federal control into state and local education. So you know, despite this massive spending, the federal government, though, reflects only about 10% mm-hmm. of U.S. K-12 education mm-hmm. spending.
1: Well, and some of that is because of those regulations that yes. they're demanding that the states do. And they got to come up with the money somewhere. The states have to figure that out. Yes, they and do. And so that puts them in a tough position sometimes.
0: It does. It does. In fact, the accumulation of federal rules... It has suppressed innovation, Mm -hmm, diversity, competition in state education systems. I mean, that's the logical conclusion when there are all of these mandates. mm -hmm. And and tragically, you know, state education officials report that most of their staff, okay, they're reduced to overseeing and managing federal education programs. So they're not (laughs) even really able to function in the role as a state representative. Right. They're doing the bidding and the work of Big Brother.
1: Yeah, which is not at all the way it was intended. No, it wasn't. So it's these examples of spending and overreach that it's producing a movement in this country. The group we mentioned earlier, the United States Parents Involved in Education, or USPI, USP, I guess. I U- call USPI. USPI? USP? Yeah. Okay, there we go. USPI. <laughs> That's easier to pronounce, and it yeah. probably sounds a little bit better. Um, <clears throat> it's one of the many nonprofit nationwide coalitions of state leaders focused on restoring local control of education by eradicating federal intrusion. And these state leaders from around the country, they're tired of being ignored on education policy, and they've joined forces to abolish the U.S. Department of Education and put an end to all federal mandates. Yes. So they're going for the extreme.
0: Absolutely. Let's just
1: get rid of this thing. That's right. <laughs> um, so the group's goal, as I said, it's to return America's education or America's education to its proper local roots and restore parental authority, over their children's education. Right. And that's so important because who knows best
0: what the needs are of students and families within a particular district than the local authorities.
1: There's a Latin term and locos parentis. And it means basically that the parents are responsible. They're the primary educators of their children. Okay. um, Parents alone. and. We need to remember that, that parents do know what's best for their kids, and they are the primary educators of their children, and that notion is so foreign to people today. That doesn't mean you can't send your kids to school. I run a a private school, and our parents obviously are sending their children to school, but what it does mean is we really recognize the importance of that partnership with parents in educating their children. We respect and honor a parent's views and what they know about their child, and and it really is a partnership that it we is. form with them.
0: And that opens the door to the transparency that parents and families have with the leaders of these types of yeah, schools. And exactly. we're thankful for that. Mm-hmm. Well, when we speak of legislation to end the U.S. Department of Education, as is the desire of these nonprofit organizations like USPI. We have to consider, uh, back on February 7th of 2017, now, keep in mind, this is literally two and a half weeks after Mm -hmm. President Trump is sworn into office and he uh, is serving as the 45th president of our country, Uh, U.S. House of Representative member Thomas Massey. Now, he represents a district uh, from the state of Kentucky. He sponsored a bill uh, known as H.R. 899. And just to give you just a little bit of background on this and just... um, the significance of this, the bill it was a simple statement to close the Federal Department of Education, and that closure would be effective a year and a half later, almost two years later, uh, December 31st, 2018. Mm-hmm. And the bill was introduced less than a month, like I said, into the Trump presidency. It was at the start of the 115th Congress. You can look it up. And it's important to note that both the U.S. House and the Senate at that time had a Republican majority, mm-hmm. okay? Now, Massey introduced the bill in the House on the same day that Betsy DeVos was confirmed as the nation's new education secretary in the Senate. If you remember, it was by a 51-50 to 50 vote mm-hmm. uh, because of Vice President Pence's tie-breaking yeah, uh, vote I do on remember. that. Mm-hmm. Okay, there were two Republicans yeah. that had uh, sided with the Democrats. And of the 238 Republicans that were serving in the majority in the House, only 12 of them co-sponsored Thomas Massey's yeah. bill to put an end to the U.S. Mm-hmm. Department of Education.
1: And I'm sure there's just a little bit of cold feet there, right? It probably felt yes. like, well, we do want parental control, but, oh, but to abolish the entire department, that's an extreme move, and there's probably a lot of fear there right, on the part of a lot of these Republicans, and yet... Um, that was the original idea behind education, is yes. that it would would be run by the states and the local municipalities. Right. And that that allowed the parents then to be in control. Yes. So it feels extreme to us now. Because our mind has been conditioned to think a certain way. our mind has been conditioned, exactly. That's right. Mm-hmm.
0: And and really, ever since this piece of legislation was introduced uh, by Representative Massey, um, U.S. Pi has... Stated They're going to move forward. They're going to continue to work with like-minded congressmen and congresswomen to to develop legislation which would end all federal education mandates and move programs to states with the goal of closing the federal Department of Education. And, you know, I just want to throw this out uh, there, too. And maybe it's a little early that I'm doing it. I may repeat it later. But, Mm -hmm. you know, again... There's no mandate from the executive branch or anywhere in the Constitution for that matter that says the federal government needs to be the leader in education in right. this country. it's a violation of the Tenth Amendment that mm-hmm. needs to be state rights right and um, we always go back to the Northwest Ordinance of seventeen eighty seven yes, article like that three because
1: it's yes because it's so excellent
0: right it's a simple statement mm-hmm. that we've uh, talked about on the show about uh uh about morality and and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and righteousness, mm-hmm. I mean, being really the bedrocks, if you will, of education in this country, and it's still federal law, and mm-hmm. that just never gets mentioned today. Right. And so, yeah. um, but uh, But I, I applaud groups like this because they're willing to put feet to their profession. Mm-hmm. And it's really eye-opening when you do see that when there is this uh, majority from the party that professes Uh, to be law and order and wanting to be about lesser government, Mm -hmm. and yet to only have that type of support, 12 out of 238, it just kind of comes across as no talk or all talk and no No action. No
1: action, exactly. Yep, yep, I agree with you. Well, what were some of the motivations behind that 2015 passage of the ESSA legislation? It was passed, Really, to ensure greater state and local flexibility, mm-hmm. supposedly, right so um, this must have been what they thought was sort of a compromise, mm-hmm. and the changes were supported by business groups, teachers' unions, civil rights groups, and supporters of school choice. so that's good they had a they had a cohort of people that agreed with them yes um, but the but those wanting to restore parental and local control of education, um, they fear that this federal education reform legislation is really just the latest installment. Of the far-reaching federal legislation, yes. Um, so, just how much does ESSA's passage ensure greater state and local flexibility, as they purported that it does? USPI notes that ESSA still authorizes the Secretary of Education the power to accept or reject state education plans, and that's true. We we actually talked about this on a show yep. way back um, uh, right after the election and we uh, oh you even said this yeah <laughs> and when we mentioned that at the top of um the show today the department of education actually approved the state plans of 35 states and dc
0: including minnesota
1: including minnesota yep and we'll get to what local states must do in order to exercise their autonomy in just a few minutes but the bottom line is they still do have to accept every state's
0: plan. Right. And there Mm -hmm. are parameters in place in which they can turn around and reject your plan. And we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later as well. But, you know, speaking of changes, you know, what were ESSA's goals or key goals and objectives from the 2015 passage under then-President Barack Obama? Well, the first uh, major mandate, if you will, was personalized learning. And this mm-hmm. uh, is to come through competency-based education, uh, complete technology-delivered instruction using uh, artificial intelligence and algorithms. Mm-hmm. Okay. And competency-based learning, uh, you know, for our listeners who may not be familiar with that, that emphasizes what learners are expected to do rather than mainly focusing on what they're expected to know. Mm-hmm. And it, it is learner-centered, and it's adaptive to the <coughs> changing needs of uh, students and teachers and society. As well. Which
1: sounds good, but as I've as I've covered on this show multiple yes. times, personalized learning sounds so good. And be, feel free to but reiterate. it's it. very very technical. It's technically based. It's basically computer-based learning. Sure. So what they mean by personalized is that you know their child is sitting in front of a computer screen or on an iPad or whatever, mm-hmm. and the program is programmed to respond to their answers. But it is about as impersonal as it gets because yes. the teacher isn't involved. And right. um, teachers are the best ones to uh, initiate that learning in kids because they know each child, and they know how that child responds, and they know how best to teach them and instruct them in ways that they're going to understand. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And,
0: and, and then we, you know, look at the second parameter, the major uh, parameter from this ESSA passage in 2015, and that would include social and emotional learning, and that uh, acronym is SEL. And that would require testing and curriculum to collect data on students, values, attributes, and their personal beliefs. Mm -hmm. And uh, that right there, very, very intrusive.
1: Very intrusive. And people assume that this is not connected to names. I forgot what the words for that are, but there are actual vocabulary words that describe whether data is collected, connected to identifying. I think that's what it is, you know, personally identifying information versus non-personally identifying. And a lot of this is personally identified information that is being collected. So parents may assume, well, they're just collecting the data, but they don't have it connected to my child's name or my child's information. Oh, yes, they do.
0: Right. Oh, yes, they do. I mean, is the purpose for that, I mean, without getting, you know, Mm -hmm. on a tangent here, is the purpose of that so that as the answers are coming in on those uh, those questions that there's a, a formation of curricula to kind of, in a sense, meet the needs of the students. That's, that...
1: that's the excuse. Yes. Yes. bring that Great. Well, you are listening to Education Nation on AM 1280, The Patriot and Mark Durkin and Rebecca Hegstrom. And we are talking about uh, Trump's uh, education plans and what he has done in the first term of office and the ESSA passage and And, you know, kind of how that really um, didn't put control back into the state and the local government the way they purported that it would. Um, So the ESSA uh, related to Common Core, that was a big term that was being thrown around a lot during the election time. You know, everybody was thankfully against Common Core or generally speaking. Um, President Trump actually was one of the first candidates that actually put education on his platform. Yes, And he talked a lot about Common Core and the problems with Common Core. Um, So you would think that his education secretary would have been opposed to Common Core, but that was actually one of the reasons why I was opposed to Betsy DeVos, because she actually had supported Common Core. So we shouldn't be surprised by what we're seeing then that came out of the ESSA. That's right. What were you going to say? I I was just
0: going to add that third point um, Mm -hmm. to the main parameter that was uh, included as part of the law in the ESSA. Oh, Um, sorry. That's okay. No, I just want to mention this before we forget. But um, we mentioned uh, curricular learning and character data collection. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's to be heavily embedded in many other Minnesota school testings. I needed to note that, such as mandated tests like the Minnesota Comprehensive Assessments. Mm -hmm. It's already embedded in fact, in many other Minnesota school testings. And then the other uh, parameter as well, or objectives of ESSA, is advancing equity in annual statewide assessments and requiring a state plan for federal accountability. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, we talked about the 35 states in D.C. Yeah. that yeah. got the signature for yeah. the and like
1: you And like we said earlier, that data collection that's happening through those MCAs and what have you, um, there is personally identifying information that is connected to it. Right. Um, So then getting back to the Common Core piece and the ESSA and Secretary Betsy DeVos, who was heavily involved in promoting Common Core state standards prior to becoming the education secretary, once upon becoming education secretary, and people were asking her about this, this might have even happened during her um, term, um, I forget what they call that, where they vote them into their office. Confirmation. Confirmation hearings. She was asked about Common Core and her statement was, well, Common Core is dead. Um, The ESSA, though, did not replace Common Core. Instead, the ESSA ends federal interference and ends the federal mandates on states to adopt the Common Core state standards. But it still requires that states have uniform standards and tests, and it demands that states intervene in schools in the lowest 5% of performers and in high schools with graduation rates below 66.6%, which that part isn't bad. Right. You know, we want them to hold to states accountable yes. and we want them to succeed, and that part is really important. Um, and so the fact that they're supposed to intervene is not a bad thing at all.
0: No, it's not. In fact, when but,
1: we. But the fact that they are being required to get their um, standards to be kind of connected to other states. Yes. That part is bad because it's really basically institutionalizing Common Core. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And
0: they may not call it Common Core, but, you know, if there are standards that are common to one another, there's still the national standards that need to be met. Now, in taking a look at Minnesota's state plan under ESSA, Um, That was approved by the U.S. Department of Education in January of 2018. Mm -hmm. And in the plan, and and really listen to these statistics, and we covered these uh, at length when we talked about the Minnesota Report Card, uh, uh, that show that we did last summer. Mm -hmm. Um, In the plan, the state, it sets an ambitious goal by this year, 2020, that 90% of Minnesota students will graduate in four years, and no single student group's graduation rate will be below 85%.
1: A lofty goal considering it was sitting at about 60-something percent. That's right, 60% for graduation. Mm -hmm. But when you
0: looked at those comprehensive assessments amongst subgroups, such as uh, African-American students and Latino Mm -hmm. uh, students, uh, the The proficiencies, if you will, for you know reading were in the thirty percent something. Mm-hmm. So those numbers were gradually going down from two thousand fourteen up, you know, through two thousand eighteen each year. But yet, graduation rate numbers mm-hmm. are climbing, and so you can see Little what's suspicious. going on with the curriculum. <laughs> Little exactly, suspicious. to meet these numbers yes. of ninety and eighty five percent. We
1: do want the kids who are graduating to truly be prepared. Absolutely, that's Absolutely. more important than the graduation numbers.
0: So according to the Minnesota Department of Education, uh, this goal, the numbers I just mentioned, they reflect the state's strong commitment to equity and ensuring every Minnesota student receives a high school diploma and is bolstered by the state's plan to identify for support any public high school with a four-year graduation rate below 67% overall or for any student
1: group. Mm-hmm. And these prognostications are actually especially troublesome when you consider the latest numbers released by the Minnesota Department of Education concerning their state report card. So while the Minnesota report card touts overall graduation rates as being in the 80th percentile and climbing, performance on the Minnesota comprehensive assessments show numbers that are steadily declining, especially among students of color with percentages in the 30th percentile. That's 30th percentile. Yes. That, is, that is just completely unacceptable. It, is. it um, is. And we did, as you mentioned earlier, Mark, we did an entire show on these declining numbers, and we do invite our listeners to go back and listen to episode number 155 from last year, titled Minnesota Graduation Rates and Achievement Gaps.
0: Yes. So here's now where the language uh, becomes a little bit tricky as far as uh, ESSA. It, it does provide a way out of Common Core, um, mm-hmm. however, the language declares that each state is required to adopt standards that are common to a significant number of other states. Mm -hmm. And we all have Common Core and college and career readiness standards. So for example, if Minnesota wanted to get rid of Common Core, Minnesota would have to partner with a number of other states to adopt a different standard at the same time. Mm -hmm. And though they provide a way out, the concern is, is that ESSA is still asking for national standards or near National standards. So while the education secretary can't require that specific standards or tests be used, it does seem that the secretary is able to veto any standards that she would deem to be insufficiently challenging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and again, you know, here on Ed Nation, we did discuss the Every Student Succeeds Act in Minnesota with Linda French Bell, uh, the co founder of Minnesotans Against Common Core. And this was an interview or a series of interviews that we did with her in the spring of 2018. So, uh, well, our listeners, we encourage you, go back to our podcast site at ednationmn.org. to scroll all the way down to the bottom to episodes number 105 and 106 for a detailed mm-hmm. listen.
1: And very important information. Um, the other piece of this is that Betsy DeVos, um, not only does she really sort of embrace Common Core, kind of coming at it sideways through the ESSA, she also signed us onto a globalist UN education agenda. And in 2018, she signed onto a declaration by education ministers of the G20 countries that calls for putting education at the center of the global agenda. The declaration was put together in Argentina at a gathering of the education working group of the G20 governments and dictatorships, and it was titled Building Consensus for Fair and Sustainable Development.
0: In fact, it called for globalization of education, inclusiveness, social and emotional learning, and increasing data collection. Those words again on mm-hmm. students throughout their educations and well into their careers. Mm-hmm. So we, we've talked about how the federal government uh, should serve to protect the privacy of its citizens, and this is uh, really a violation of FERPA. If anyone is not familiar with that, uh, the acronym is the Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. And, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it was designed to protect the privacy of student education records, but as we've talked about off-air, it has been gutted and is in need of some serious yes. uh Serious rejuvenation.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. Yep. Um, We also talked about how some of the themes here line up with the 2015 ESSA that are now new in federal law. And again, going back and listening to our podcast with Linda French Bell would be very beneficial for people.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, in conclusion, we'll just finish this up real quick. In her speech to the G20 education ministers, DeVos stressed, quote, Indeed, education and the economy are indivisible, especially given the interconnectedness of the world today. While each child is an individual, government should approach education by acknowledging the realities of today's economy with an eye towards tomorrow's opportunities. And where, again, I ask, in the Constitution, are we told that it's the executive branch's job to fashion, educate for the people? Or how about the economy? It doesn't. In fact, to the contrary, it's unconstitutional. It's a violation of the Tenth Amendment. And I'll finish with this. It states that the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited to it by the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. In the declaration signed on to by Secretary DeVos, it really begs the question even further, what is the point of education?
1: Mm -hmm. And the point of education should not be career training, but teaching kids how to think and learn. Absolutely. And that is what a classical... Education does. Yes, it does. Liberty Classical Academy. Quick plug. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for joining us on Ed Nation tonight. We look forward to having you join us again next week and our podcast, ednationmn.org. Thanks. Good night.